0: Welcome to another episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons Podcast. This is Michael McGraw here with Michael Schutt. Today is Tuesday, February 6th, 2024. And Virginia is back, baby.
1: Yes, we are back. Seven in a row.
0: 23 straight at home, seven in a row. Back off the mat after horrific road losses to Notre Dame and Wake Forest.
1: Now we're just holding teams under 40 points again. Yeah, uh, you made Jim Laranega want to quit basketball, I think. I mean... <laughs> that press conference was <laughs> just incredible. For those of you who didn't see all
0: 20 seconds of Jim Larenega's press conference, go ahead and pause this podcast and go watch that too, because he, he was out of it. He didn't want any part of answering questions about why his team only scored 38 points. Very vintage Virginia effort in that game against Miami it had that previously had averaged over 80 points a
1: game coming into that and uh, I love it I love yeah. that yeah I mean taking the one question of what changed and he just said the game
0: <laughs> there was like he also did the thing that Ed Cooley did a, a couple of weeks back where he just called a timeout and then sat away from his team just like y'all figure it out
1: I'm not gonna I'm not going to get in there. I don't love that as a coach, but also. I I think I don't love it either, but I think it makes some sense for this team because there are like veteran leaders. You got to think like they could kind of talk it out. Whatever they talked about didn't work. (laughs) And now you've got a Miami team that is kind of in free fall. I mean, like not fully, but.
0: I mean, they had just beaten Virginia Tech, came back and beat Virginia Tech at home, which put Virginia Tech
1: on the other side of the bubble. Yeah, but, I mean, you look at their last 10. They're 4-6 and six in their last 10 with losses against Louisville, Florida State, NC State, which I don't think is, you know, again, I'm not saying that's a bad loss. They lost to Syracuse. That's not necessarily a bad loss. But in their, like, barely escaped pit. They did beat Virginia Tech twice, but they were both close games, and then they had this embarrassment. Of, it just feels like – Some of the stuff that we talked about early on when we looked at the ACC and teams like Clemson and Miami and Florida State were kind of hovering up closer to the top. And Florida State is still sort of up there, but some of those other teams have sort of come back down to earth. And the thing that some of them have in common is that they have played Virginia during this stretch run here of of seven in a row. And Florida State has the dubious honor of being next man up. Although How many I, oh, seasons are you guys going
0: to ruin? <laughs> let's do it. Let's just ruin everybody's season. I mean, you know, Florida State also did just lose to Louisville on the road, so that was bad. And Tallahassee is a really tough place to play. It's seemingly, Virginia has, even at the for many years under Bennett, struggled in the state of Florida. So that will be a difficult game regardless. But, yeah, Virginia playing a lot better. I think you'd have to say... Improved defense is part of that equation. You know, this team is not as vintage Virginia defense as some of Tony Bennett's previous years, but they're definitely considerably better than, like, the layup line, open three-point line that was going on against Notre Dame and Wake Forest. And their offensive efficiency is getting better. It's not perfect. It's not great. It's not elite. But you're seeing more scoring from people like Jake Groves, He's been on an absolute tear the last few games. Uh, Reese Beekman has certainly stepped his game up in the absence of Ryan Dunn. The last couple of games where he hasn't put up a ton of numbers, he had a better game against Miami uh, offensively. But yeah, just uh, getting contributions from everybody. Jordan Miner has been a significant part of the offense, and I love it. I love seeing that. I'm glad they won the Clemson game because that game got dicey, even though they led for pretty much the whole game. And Played P.J. Hall pretty well overall until he just kind of forced himself to get to the free throw line at the end of the game. But it's, it's uh, exciting. It seems like we're still on the bubble overall, but like on the right side of the bubble, major bracketologists that publish things in Bracket Matrix, I think 43 out of 49 of them had Virginia in the tournament before the Miami game. So things trending in the right direction.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think... I was actually reading some a, a pretty interesting uh, Twitter thread this morning from I believe the account is Cuts from the Corner. I don't know if you're familiar, but um, some good stuff just on how some of the pick and roll defense has been simplified over the course of this kind of this stretch in the schedule. Where you know I don't want to get too t- super technical, but sort of having the the ball handlers defender sink into the lane a little bit on the hedge, just sort of tag the roller, which is different from what they've done in the past where they've sort of had weak side help, but some of their, and it was funny, some of the clips that he included on that thread sort of picked on Andrew Rody I mean, he was struggling as the help side defender uh, in making decisions on where he should rotate, which is, is extremely important in any sort of, especially when you're hedging as hard as Virginia prefers to. So it was cool to kind of see and, and dive into a little bit of we're talking, we were uh, talking and, and shout out to the, Wonderful people who showed up to the watch party at Devil's Backbone this past weekend, but we were talking with some of them about like what really has made this defense look better, and I think a lot of that is the simplification. And Tony Bennett has talked about that a little bit about just finding a way to make this roster successful, and that's where I give him a ton of credit uh is his ability to find what works for the group that he has, and it takes time, like you know, so it's no surprise there and. You know, I'm sure UVA fans and, and Tony Bennett himself would love to get more offensively out of somebody like Rodie um, or Dante Harris. Or you know, you're still looking for that. And We talked a little bit about that at the watch party. I think there's still a, a level that needs to be unlocked here, right? That keeps keeps some of these games from becoming close, like your Clemson game, uh, the NC State game, where they let them back in. If you had a little bit more offensive punch, uh, you could probably hold it off some. But the defense has gotten better, which is huge. So maybe the offensive punch is Jacob Groves. Like this dude has been – he's on the heater to end all heaters. And you got to hope it continues. It's a, it's like this is the kind of streak you want to see from somebody in like March. But hopefully he can kind of keep it up here in the back half of the season. Yeah, Groves is one of those players that
0: Bennett clearly likes – I mean, the addition of Ben Vanderplas last year was this kind of pick-and-pop four, an undersized four that can still guard some guards in some situations, can play in a pinch in the post defensively, but obviously that's not his strength. And, you know, he looked like you had played himself out of the lineup just based on, you know, Buchanan getting some minutes, Miner coming in and taking up all the post minutes, done, playing really, really well, but... Having him as an offensive threat is such a big part of unlocking the offense because it allows Virginia to set screens and pop. It doesn't rely fully on Reese Beekman to be the only person who can get in the lane. And it also keeps teams from just being able to focus uniquely on Isaac McNeely and running him off the three-point line. So, yeah, really, really big contributions. We'll see how long he can keep it up. Uh, You know, he doesn't have to be... As molten hot as he is right now through the rest of the season, but just knowing that he is a capable three point shooter at a clip that is higher than he was shooting earlier in the year, or a clip that's higher than what Vanderplas was shooting last year, I think is really, really important for them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that anytime you can, I, I mean, Reese Beekman's going to be better when the floor is stretched. You know, somebody like Jordan Miner who operates inside, it's going to be more effective. Your rebounding gets better. Um, Because the defense is stretched out and can't get in good defensive rebounding position, yeah, I I love the way that UVA is playing right now, and you know they're right there, relatively solidly in second place right now in the ACC. I mean, you know Duke's right there, having played a couple fewer games. State still kind of nipping at their heels, but yeah, that that sort of middle of the pack that we talked about last time that is such a cluster looks like it's starting to separate a little bit. Um, you have teams starting to move, and I know I'm anxious about which way State's going to move. But yeah, I was going to
0: ask, so let's assume that UNC and Duke are in the tournament because they're going to be, they both deserve to be. Clemson was in a lot of people's, like, they're going to be in level, but lost a bunch of games recently. I feel like they're kind of lowering on the bubble At the end of the season, which ACC teams do you think will be in the tournament? So not right now who's in, but like end of season who you got getting in the tournament.
1: So like you said, we can go ahead and assume Carolina and Duke. I think Virginia's in um, unless they collapse like historically, and I'm not wishing that on anyone. Uh, I think Virginia's in hard to say with NC State. Genuinely, I think it's tough because... The the big gripe that a lot of people have is that we don't have any quad one wins right now. Although, if if you guys trend the way you are, then our home win against you guys might become a quad one win. But currently, there are no quad one wins. Still are going to have some opportunities, though, at the back little part of the schedule. We I mean, we've got Carolina and Duke in the last couple games there. But last year, uh, State had no quad one wins and made the tournament. So it's not impossible. And I think that the way they're playing right now, it's a little uneven. But, you know, they're still right there at seven and four in the ACC. They're in the top four. And I know there are people out there who would say that doesn't mean a whole lot because the ACC isn't as good, but I don't really necessarily buy that. You know, like you said, this is a Miami team that just lost to you guys and couldn't score 40. But before that, they were averaging 80. And they were still a trendy, like, hey, watch this team in March kind of pick.
0: That has been my contention is like, of all the teams, Miami, if they get healthy, get these experienced guards into the tournament they're very dangerous but i i admit i might be wrong on them like i the 38 point performance has shaken me a little bit like yeah they have an opportunity to bounce back at home this weekend against north carolina so you know that's they can rewrite their narrative pretty quickly but yeah they're, they're gonna they got some work to do in a way that i did
1: not think they would need to at this point in the year but i think nc state could still make the tournament i mean i think miami could still i think i think virginia tech could still make the tournament And then, look, Clemson is a big favorite of the metrics because they had a pretty strong non-conference schedule. There still isn't, like, when you look at their non-conference slate, there isn't, to me, like, a win that blows me away. I mean, the Alabama win was good. You know, there's good stuff. That South Carolina win is looking better and better. So, I mean, I think, at most, this is probably a 6 bid league, and that feels generous. I think it's probably four right now, maybe five, but you know the, the top three right now Carolina Virginia and Duke I think they're all in I, like again barring major collapses I think you could see some things with some major wins by Wake State you know late in the season that might push them in other than that I'm just I'm not seeing Syracuse breaking through I think Pitt maybe has done too much damage already to their own resume so yeah I mean I think it's it's pretty limited this year which is unfortunate and it is difficult because all these teams play each other and they the narrative
0: is that they're all on the bubble right. and their rankings are pretty close, you know, with give, give or take, you know, they're within 20 to 30 spots of each other. And so they all play each other and beat each other up. Then it ends up hurting the conferences overall chance. Yeah. I mean, I think NC state has the chance to do it given their schedule.
1: You're going to have to win some tough games. You're going to have
0: to win a lot of games. I mean, the fact that they're Owen five and quad one, 15-7 and seven overall, ranked 76th in the net. So they, they're going to have to catch some people winning yeah. those games against Duke Carolina, but they have a chance to. It's tough beyond – the I mean, I, I guess if forced to choose, I would guess Clemson gets in, Virginia gets in. You could convince me that Wake Forest gets in, but you look at their stuff, too, and they are 42nd in the net. Great home record, undefeated at home, but 0-3 in quad one games. One and five on the road. Like, it's just, I don't know. There's like nothing compelling. Like, why put them in over anybody else? And I, I feel that way kind of about the bubble overall. I think there's just a very soft, squishy bubble that, you know, it's allowed Virginia to kind of soar past it right now just by winning games. You win games, and even against teams that aren't the best teams in the world, you know, Miami's not the best team in the world, but you get a win like that, and it kind of surges you up the yeah. rankings.
1: Well, and it's crazy, and I think maybe this goes into the argument that the ACC is down, right? If you look at record against the quads, against like AP top twenty-five, right? Just re- let's look, just look at record against ranked teams. I mean, Carolina's five and two against ranked teams. That's the best overall resume. But then, if by percentage, the team that's the best is three and one against top twenty-five, it's Georgia Tech. Like this, this league makes no sense. So you could make the argument to say, well, you go down the list and State's 0-2 against ranked teams, Wake's 0-1, Syracuse 0-4. The resumes aren't great. Virginia's 1-1, so like 500, you know, that's whatever. But I actually think it kind of works out to say, no, the ACC's tough. Georgia Tech, who's sitting there towards the bottom of the, the conference, just beat Carolina. They're 3-1 and 1 against ranked teams. This is something that when you take a look at – at this conference top to bottom. This tends to be my argument against it all the time. It's like when this conference beats up on itself, pundits across the nation take the opportunity to devalue it and say the ACC is a glorified mid-major. Literally heard those exact words earlier today.
0: Yeah, and I that's ridiculous. When
1: the Big 12 beats up on itself, we talk about how good every team in that conference is. And some of that has to do with what happens out of conference. I understand that. They schedule more aggressively, they tend to anyway. But even then, I just I look at some of this stuff, and I watched Kansas lose to Kansas State just last night. And looking at that Kansas State team, I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. They're they're good. Are they great? Are they going to be above Clemson in the ACC standings if they were in? You know, like, I I don't know. I can't know. obviously we can't know that for sure. But it's just like this is where I have an issue with with some of the metrics, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But
0: well, and I. I mean, I think the metrics are very useful, but they are flawed, like particularly the net and how you can game that. Justin Williams had a good article in The Athletic about this, about the Big 12. Specifically, you know, you take Kansas, Houston, Baylor out of it, who all played in a lot of big tournaments in the out-of-conference schedule. So you look at BYU, Iowa State, Cincinnati, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas Tech, TCU, all teams that everybody thinks are really good, they play uh, each other in the conference, and it's big games. The non-conference strength of schedule uh, for the net for all of those teams is 292. So they played really weak out of conference games. Then they played really well in them, won 57-0 and 0 in quad four opponents. That helps all of their efficiency metrics, mm-hmm. which then go into the net. It was like, wow, this these teams are shooting the lights out and playing great defense. Well, they're also playing not great opponents. And yes, that gets factored into the net, but not enough. You know, like Then you basically can catch up by playing just the teams in your conference. And so the ACC gets knocked for not having an elite in-conference thing, and some of their non-conference opponents were not particularly great, and now we're seen as a down-conference. And I just don't believe that. Like, I, I get that it's not the most robust season of all time for the ACC but I don't know. I would I think we're comparable to the Big 12. I don't think it's like such a wild
1: difference between the two. No, I don't think it is either and it just it drives me a little crazy when the narrative becomes so different. Again, I do, I'm like I'll use this opportunity to shout out Georgia Tech. I mean, Damon Sotomayor, the third first-year ACC head coach in the last 30 seasons to beat both Duke and Carolina in his first season. The other two, by the way, Kevin Keats, Sydney Lowe, love it. Just saying,
0: <laughs> whatever happened to Sydney Lowe? <laughs> uh, tax worked, evasion, I
1: think worked. it was the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of, but I mean, yeah, like this Georgia Tech team, like I think they are a perfect example of where I think the ACC gets devalued. I mean, so yes, they are. Their overall record is not great, and I, they're not a great team, even by that. And they're not. They we would consider them not a great team because they've lost a bunch of games in this conference. So. They beat Mississippi State ranked at the time. They beat Duke. The second time they played Duke. Only lost by 5. It was right there. Okay? They beat Clemson. They gave Virginia a game. They beat Carolina and then gave NC State a game who possibly could be a tournament team as well. So, I understand like they're not winning enough games. They've also like they've lost a bunch. They lost to Notre Dame. They lost to Boston College. They lost to Nevada. This is not a good team. But I'm just saying in a conference like the Big 12, when a ranked team loses to a team that's towards the bottom of those standings, we're like, "Oh man, this conference is so tough." Mm-hmm. And it's like, "Yeah." So, why don't I they get the keep same? the same energy? I, I don't understand it. But in the meantime, I mean, shout out Georgia Tech for beating Carolina. Love that. That that's was so, so much. Good. It was so much fun to to see Carolina fans complain because there was the the last play where they felt R.J. Davis got fouled. He was fouled by the sure, way, whatever. But- but they make this whole thing about, like, officials were out to get us that night. Foul count was pretty even. Uh, Georgia Tech had one more foul. When and people then...
0: say Carolina refs, are, do they really mean that Carolina is being discriminated against? Is that always what that term has been? Oh, I
1: think that's exactly it. So I, I just I have some some numbers for this because oh, okay. I'll take sure. any opportunity to explain. Because I, I do think sometimes people, Carolina fans, get, get a little... When, when people like us say Carolina refs, they're like, oh, come on. We don't really get that many calls. So let's look at this. Free throw differential uh, across the ACC. Carolina leads the ACC in free throw differential uh, with a plus 145.
0: Well, maybe that's just because they're pounding the ball inside to Armando
1: Baycott. Sure. Yeah, no. That's not what's happening. Oh. By the way, in case you're curious, second is Duke with 117. Hmm. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad to see Duke get the benefit of the State doubt. State near ones. the bottom of that one with a minus 39 differential foul differential. Uh, let's just just take a look at that. So they lead the conference in that with a plus 58 differential. So Carolina's opponents have been called for 58 more fouls over the course of the season mm-hmm. than than they have, which is, you know, that equates to, to almost three per game more. And so, you know, when you look at that and you think about those numbers over the course of the entire season – right and then one call doesn't go your way i think it's okay i I think we can all kindly like maybe it was a foul
0: like sure it was a foul but also like there are a million times during the course of a game where people bump into each other and it's just like you know you can't call every single one you'd be there literally everyone would foul out of the game if every single piece of contact
1: got called and it's the end of a game like the refs made a decision and i I think that's my thing with this georgia tech game in particular is they want to say well if that foul gets called archie davis just makes the free throws and we win it's a one-point game so it it, it changes the game well what about all the other ones in the course of the game where the data shows us that over the course of a season carolina is getting i don't want to say preferential treatment but they are getting the benefit of uneven calls and so it could have been there could have been something in the first half that ended up changing that you know like who knows And it's crazy to me, and this is why I I, I am guilty of doing it sometimes, but I don't love breaking things down to officiating, because while there's a, there's an, I forget which one it is, so pardon me if you're listening, but there's an NC State fan out there on Twitter who always makes fun of the, like, officiating doesn't determine the outcome of games, because it can, and it's certainly not that, but it's the fact that, like, it's so uneven and inconsistent that we can't possibly look at one game and just be like well officiating ruin that one and not think about the context of sure but like in these other ones right so like let's say virginia just as an example and their next game has a call that ruins their chance to win the game and ends their winning streak that's awful however i'm sure that sometime in this seven game winning streak there have been examples of calls that have helped them to win Sure, Sure. so like I, I do believe that over the course of the season, for most teams, it gets relatively for most <laughs> non Carolina teams, it gets pretty even. But yeah, when you're like when you have like 150 more free throws than your opponents, that's uh, just shut up and sit down. Take the loss. You're fine. You're probably a Final Four team. I hate to say that, but you probably yeah, are. They looked pretty good against
0: Duke. Yeah, that was a. I did uh, laugh a little bit because. You know, the takeaway for me in that game, they scored, like, what, 90-some points against Duke and really ran some great actions. Duke had trouble guarding them the entire game. And I saw a lot of takeaways, including, like, most of the ESPN commentators right after that game were like, this North Carolina defense is elite. And I was like, well, they gave up, like, 80-some points. I mean, feels like the thing that was elite was they scored every time they touched the ball.
1: But that's, that's just me. I mean... That is definitely the the strength of their their team is is their offense and and they're not perfect right I mean like in a lot of ways they have issues but um, unfortunately they're a really good team yeah RJ Davis is kind of playing out of his mind
0: yeah he's pretty good <laughs> so we're getting into the end stages here of the college basketball season February getting into March March Madness and. I love college basketball. I'm super into it, but was listening to a podcast yesterday, Tony Kornheiser's podcast, where he and Will Bon, both kind of old cranky men, were complaining about the state of men's college basketball and how they couldn't get into it. They didn't know any of the people and that it was a substantial problem. And I, I do think that viewership is down in men's basketball like women kind of have their own thing going right now because they have some really big stars caitlin clark and angel reese and juju for usc and it's like kind of a resurgence and you're seeing ratings go sky high for women's basketball so we, we will set them aside and just say that they're doing great and don't need fixing but it did get me thinking about ways that we could improve the college men's game uh with march madness looming so I think we both came up with some ideas haven't discussed this with each other of solutions both big and small that could be used to fix men's college basketball.
1: Let me first say I don't actually think it needs fixing. I think there's some fine tuning. There's some tweaks that we could do here and and I reject the the problem is like I don't know who I'm like it, if you don't that becomes a kind of a cyclical problem right like if you don't watch college basketball then yes you don't know who you're watching
0: well I I agree <laughs> with that to some extent so like Will Bond got on there and was saying like that he didn't know anybody on UConn last year even though they won the championship and I was like okay well that just means you haven't watched because yeah, they have him. some NBA players yeah. on their roster yeah. <laughs> so not a flex yeah no that's just not paying attention but I do think and like one of my top ones if we want to get into it is just I do think that there is an issue with the one-and-done rule, mm. and it does discourage people from kind of developing into stars. So I think of, like, some of the most recognizable people that are in basketball right now, Hunter Dickinson, R.J. Davis, uh, Zach Eadie, people who have been around for at least a couple of years. And so those, like, star players that, like the Zion Williamson's, you're not seeing them play in college basketball as much because they have other options. They have the G league and go overseas, overtime elite. So I would like to see them get rid of the one and done rule, because I think that that would, that would still, there would be other options, but with NIL, there would be opportunities for athletes to play college ball. And I think it would encourage people to stick around a little bit longer.
1: So what I think we're heading towards, honestly, and I, it, at least like conceptually. With things like overtime elite, the G League opening up to some of these kids, some of the international things, it's almost becoming like the farm system in baseball. So, let's mirror what college baseball does. You either go straight out of high school, go be pro, or if you go to college, you got to play three years. So, or at least two years. Sure. I mean, we could we could two and a half. Up let's for compromise. Nego- <laughs> up for you negotiation, but. It, 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 and I understand, I don't I don't love the idea of limiting that. I like the idea of just getting rid of all of it and just letting kids do whatever they want, and I understand that. However, I think that in a sport, like in baseball, what we've seen is it does allow some of these prospects to season a little bit more. I mean, think about all the guys you see that like, oh, out of high school, he was drafted in the major league draft in like the 40th round, mm-hmm. and then he goes to college for three years and is a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. And how many guys are there in basketball who could be really similar? Think about these these dudes that show up in the league after a few years. Your Tyrese Halliburtons, who like aren't, you know, he was a high level recruit, but he wasn't a McDonald's All American. So like, sure, he was Player of the Year in Wisconsin, right? But those guys aren't usually the top. So he, maybe he's he's not the best example, but there are plenty of you know NBA players who were kind of college role players and things like that and so this would give a chance for them to season a little bit more even like a hunter dickinson or like those guys that you mentioned i mean it wasn't that long ago that people looked at carolina's backcourt and said caleb love is the guy not rj davis and that time and that seasoning again makes allows those prospects to to improve even thinking about nc state last year and terquivion smith right like Having done in just a couple of years. He did two years in college. He was good as a freshman for sure. And then he had that sophomore year, went pro, uh, was not drafted as high as I think going into the season. People thought he might be. But now he's like scoring 17 points in nine minutes and things like that. Like it's you know, so you could take that time and I think it could definitely help not only help people like your old Will Bonds and those people who just want to be able to like pay casual attention and know what's going on. I understand that. But also help the prospects. I think it helps players too. So I, I do like that. I like that better than something like like limiting transfers mm-hmm. again. Yeah, which I was throwing around in my mind, but I don't love that. Yeah, I mean, I think you could.
0: I don't think I would change that right now. I think we need to figure out what it is that we want college basketball to be. And you have to give people a reason to stay in college basketball, like you said, to, to make that them marketable. Cause right now, like people want to get out as soon as possible. Cause they don't want an injury or more tape to ruin their draft stock. And you have to give people a reason to grow like the Dalton connects of the world for yeah. Tennessee, who are like at a small school. And now this year have like played themselves into the first round by advancing going to Tennessee like those are the kinds of people
1: that I think are good for college basketball generally my next one is jumping onto the on-court product okay something sure. that something I think we could do to make games a little more exciting and we're really close to this because the women have already done it the NBA's had this for a long time advancing the ball with a timeout under a minute to go boo yeah, don't like it I don't, don't like it. I will never understand the argument against this. It makes basketball infinitely more exciting. It adds an entire another level of of strategy and coaching. It makes coaches work harder because you actually are drawing something up other than just some let's fling the ball down the court and hope to get a Christian Leitner type thing. Like that's stupid. It's going to happen once every. I mean, the reason we talk about that Christian Leitner play so much is because literally that doesn't happen. So it's dumb. If you turn on the NBA, you turn on women's college basketball and watch any late game thing, it is filled with exciting late game plays because coaches have properly strategized, saved a timeout and used it in an intelligent way to be able to give their team an opportunity to win late in the game. I'm tired of watching just stupid like now, if you're playing a team and they score with three seconds left, you're like, this game's over. Nothing we can do about it. That's stupid. There's three seconds. Play some defense. There's, okay, cool. You still have to play defense. You still don't want to go down. This doesn't take that away. This is what that that is everybody's favorite argument. You're just going to stop. It doesn't matter. That still matters. Like, you don't want to have to take the timeout in advance and still have to run a play, but at least there is a play to run. I hear that it creates more offense. It just seems
0: completely arbitrary to do, right? Like, no other timeouts in the game advance the ball so you're just saying this is an end of game advancement of the ball for some reason yes you would not so it's just like an arbitrary let's see more offense be played like why if, if that's the rule if we're excited about offense why not have them inbound the ball from the lane like you call a timeout late in the game inbound the ball from under the basket like no, under it, your own basket
1: like why not that because like, that is not then It becomes a straw man. Like you're not, I'm not saying just put the ball in the basket. I'm saying have them inbound the ball directly over (laughs) their cylinder. Give us an actual basketball play. And and it's not like it's just free. You That means you have to save a timeout. That means you have to get it. You still have to, to get the ball, either get a stop and get a rebound, force a shot before the expiration of the clock. Like there's a million other strategy things that go into this. And what's amazing is when you bring this up, For men's college basketball or for high school basketball, people act like they're like, oh, my God, you can't do this. Nobody complains about it in the NBA. I do. I don't like it. Okay. Well, nobody who watches the NBA complains about it. This is my thing. And people in women's college basketball don't complain about it. People who watch this, like, it's exciting. It is objectively, it makes the game more exciting. And it is a game. It is supposed to be fun. I don't want to watch, like literally it gets to the point where it's just like this is this is stupid i'm not gonna watch some kid heave a ball down the court and it gets tipped and the game's over like let me see you want to you think your coach is so good let me see what gets drawn up from the 28 foot line with 2.7 seconds for a game-winning basket remember that auburn game remember uh kyle guy getting fouled
0: (laughs) yeah 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 but like
1: like, i want to see stuff like that that's it makes it better and i just it's it's I don't know. To me, it is just, like, objectively more exciting, and, and again, it makes coaches, like, their their strategy involved is not just, oh, call a timeout and you get to shoot free throws. Like, that would be absurd, but, it, you know, it, it creates an actual basketball play.
0: We're not going to see eye-to-eye on that, but maybe we will see eye-to-eye on the fact that it is stupid to me that men's college basketball is the only basketball in the world that doesn't have quarters, like, what are we doing why do we have halves yeah there's no reason for it have four quarters you can keep anything else that you want like you could even keep the like one and one seven fouls and a half like it's stupid that we don't have quarters everybody else international women's NBA like you're trying to get people ready for the NBA like why are we doing two 20 minute halves yeah. stupid I'm on board easy like, that's an easy one let's just go ahead and let's just go ahead and do that all right yeah fixed like there's no good reason to keep that one replay is mm-hmm. one that I also have a lot of thoughts on. You hate replay. I don't like replay. But I recognize that there are times in a game where it's very, very important. I would like to see a NFL-style challenge system for for the coaches. Coaches can save challenges. They get, let's say, two and a half. Just NBA style. They do it in the NBA. Yeah. So, okay. So, I do the NBA style. But, like, I would actually like to see the NFL style where they literally throw a red flag on the court. <laughs> Something about that, I think, would be fun. Just seeing uh, Tony Bennett just hurl, you know, Jim Larinaga kind of, you know, grumpily grumpily comes over and, you know, tries to dig it out of his pocket <laughs> and can't get it out. He right? would be like Belichick, just <laughs> spike it out of the. Yeah. Uh, so, I'd like to see that. Where there's a challenge, and I also would like to see, this is where you might disagree, I hate that in the last two minutes, everything goes to the monitor. Like, Mm. teams basically get free timeouts by just asking to review things when it's, like, clearly knocked out of somebody's hands. Like, somebody could swat the ball into the third row, and then the other team is just like, oh, review it, and they get a free timeout. So I think that would be a strategy of, like, did you save your challenges for those last two minutes? Calls in the last two minutes count just as much as we established earlier as a call at the 18-minute mark in terms of two points. So, yeah. yeah,
1: that's what I would like to see. Shorten the game with replay, not like going to the monitor every five seconds. To me, it really depends on the call. And and that's where I think they would benefit from what exists in football of having a separate replay official in a booth who can buzz down. Because that way you're not reviewing everything in the last two minutes. And it's not – see, that that's where I think it has it right, is you don't make it part of a coach's challenge, but – Coaches can't just ask for it. It's not up to them. So right now in college basketball, you're right. If a coach just f- waves his finger in the air, we got to look at it in the last two minutes. And I think that is stupid. But if you have a ref, a separate official, who, at worst, if it's like a super bang bang thing, and, the, and it's critical to the next play, and the game is still moving, at worst, they can pause it for three seconds to tell a ref, like, hold the inbound for a second. Let me look at this one. So like, a VAR. Yeah, yeah, basically. They just, like, don't give him the ball to inbound it quite yet. Like, I, let me look at one angle of this. And then if it's, like, if it's questionable, still say, okay, we're reviewing it. And if it's clear, like, it often is, and you say, inbound the ball, let's go. And I think it would save you a ton of time. I do like the NBA Challenge system where they hit the button and the light goes on. Mm. But I think the flag is cooler. Yeah. Or do you give them each their own, like, whistle? What about a flare that they just <laughs> fire off the in arena? their school's <laughs>
0: colors? <laughs> I, I do like the NBA system where it, they, don't, they review more than just, like, possession of the ball, too. They can, like, review fouls. Mm. Because I was watching a game this weekend, and I think it was the Baylor— iowa state game which was an absolute train wreck of a game from an officiating standpoint but late in the game somebody was dribbling the ball and a player had his arm like swiped out and the ball went out of bounds and they called it for them to keep the ball they went to the review and because it was off of that guy's arm they had to return overturn it but it was clearly a foul like he literally just knocked his whole arm so, like, that I think it would be a challenge to be like, yeah, okay, well, the reason it's out is because it hit his arm. Yeah. Like, the ref made the fair call in the moment.
1: Yeah, I, I would like that to be able to, like, add in if you see – because you can tell sometimes you watch those officials when they're replaying something and they're like, Ooh, Ooh, we, we missed a thing, yeah. but we can't call it. Roger airs is at the Duke Carolina game. Did you hear <laughs> – he it? Said, I'm, hey, about get I'm about to get booed. I'm about to get booed. <laughs> I do love that. My man. Uh, another on-court thing I would change. Jump ball. Let's get away with – Away with the possession arrow. I agree. Let's jump it up. Mm. Jump it up like they do in the NBA. Uh, to me, I have a different proposal. It's for just that. a quit and it cr- again creates another play that can be exciting. It creates another strategy. You can draw up stuff for like tips on uh, if you know. So, for example, let's say Zach Eady and Max Asemus getting a jump ball. Okay. <laughs> one of the biggest players in college basketball, one of the smallest players in college basketball, and it's down at your free throw line. Because in the NBA, for people who don't know, depending on where the jump ball happens, it, it occurs in either free throw circle or at midcourt. Let's say this happens in your end of the, the court. You could have a play for Zach. You know you're going to win that tip for Zachy to tip to someone and get a score. Like, I think that's exciting. And the shot clock doesn't reset if the offense wins the tip in, in their own. Like, if they were already on the shot clock, that should not reset. And if defense gets it, then it obviously resets, and they it's a change of possession. But possession arrow, it's obviously random isn't the right word, but it does create scenarios sometimes where you're like, well, it's just kind of luck of which officiating crew calls more jump balls and when they call them, and it, it leaves too much up to them. My take for held balls is that it
0: should go to the defense. If the offense has the ball and the defense does enough work to get two hands
1: on the ball and force that, should be a turnover. What do you do in a true, like, loose ball where no one really had clear possession? Whoever man. just had Whoever possession. Whoever last had possession. Yeah. yeah.
0: Now, there's some jump balls that are, like, you know, wedgy or, you know, yeah, uh, what do you do inadvertent there, whistle. I think then you can jump it up. Like, that makes up. sense to me. But if you have the ball and the defense, like, stops you and puts two hands on the ball, it should be their ball. Like, why do we even need to
1: jump it? Interesting. I don't hate it. Both of those are better than just arbitrary yeah. like, oh, well, it's oops. their turn. Yeah, <laughs> like, that, that's literally now. what it is. It's just like we're just taking turns. and Th- like, That
0: like half second in a game where like a big play happens and it's a jump ball and then you got to like go down look the to and look see where, where's the P at? Yeah. Is it on this side? No, like
1: so, so dumb. And I just think like often too and I think as as coaches we see this a lot like a lot of jump balls often involve fouls. I think there's a lot of like grabbing, especially late game. So I hesitate to reward the defense every time because sometimes I think it's mm-hmm. a ref wanting it's kind of a cop out call of like, well, if I call a foul late in the game, people mm-hmm. don't love that. But a jump ball, it's like, oh, well, I don't know which way the arrow's going. And then that way it would be like you are always favoring the defense. It, it rewards them in a way where I think if you did that, especially late game, you'd have to be a little bit more willing to call fouls if it's a a particularly grabby one. Because I think sometimes they get away with that. That's fair. This does
0: get me to my next one, though, which is there has to be more accountability for officials. Officials, in general, are terrible. And I get that it's very hard to be an official. We could both coach basketball, and there's a huge shortage at all levels in the world of officials right now, because it is so thankless to be that position, but there has to be more accountability. And the difference between how things are called between games are ridiculous. Like we talked about the NC state game against Virginia, almost nothing got called the whole game. Mm -hmm. And like, I think it went both ways. Like DJ Burns was hooking people, but he was also getting two handed shoved by Jordan minor, like full on linebacker style. And they just let that go. And then the next game, Virginia turns around, and their like, entire team is in foul trouble because they're calling every little hard hedge and freedom of movement thing, and there's no consistency between those things. And so I know that officials get reviewed by the conference, and they have some kind of scoring system, but it just doesn't seem like, in the way that the NFL has like these major things, people can get like relegated based on poor play. The NBA releases like the last two minutes report. The the report and like how many missed calls there are in a game. Like we need to see that. Like we need to see why Teddy Valentine sucks. Like in in digital uh metric format, right? Like don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to share and and also to highlight the officials that are doing a good job and a consistent job. But I just think like so many things get called inconsistently. Coaches being on the court gets called inconsistently. Like Scott Drew basically got ejected in this last game this weekend, which almost cost his team the game for coming onto the court and then for being out of the coach's box. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you see coaches that are like... You can say his name. Kevin Keats. <laughs> <laughs> who are like playing defense, like full-on playing defense. They're a sixth defender on the court. Like it's... W- call... Like, have a set of rules, and let's enforce what they are, and then let's hold the refs accountable. That's, I think, one of the biggest problems and obstacles for me. And especially as a better, it drives me insane because it's yeah. like how, you know, like, maybe
1: some would say I shouldn't bet on it. But, I mean... Those people are wrong. Those people are wrong. <laughs> I'm going to
0: do it. So, just fix it.
1: Yeah. I, I think accountability generally makes people better uh, at their jobs or whatever it is they're supposed to be doing. I think... I'm a I'm a believer in it, and I think that, like, if you did a... I especially like the NBA last two minutes report, and if you had that, and if, if something comes out... So let's make this fun. If something comes out that says, Teddy Valentine made an incorrect call that clearly and objectively lost UVA the game, the next day there should be a broadcast where Tony Bennett gets to slap Teddy Valentine <laughs> in the face. And I, I toned would, that I down... Watch. Because in my head, when I first started thinking about this, I was thinking like an old yeller type thing. Oh, but that's a little But we mean. can't do that. So just like a slap. We already have a shortage. <laughs> we need Teddy. <laughs> we just, need TV Teddy. Just a slap. Just like it's a fun, like we can move on. But Tony Bennett can get that frustration out. If he doesn't want to slap, the alternative, I guess, could be like Teddy Valentine has to, I don't know, donate to a charity of his choosing or something. One fan wins a contest. Yeah, somebody slap. gets to slap him. Somebody in the fan That would be base. cool if it's a fan mm-hmm. or player ryan dunn would want to do it every time i think (laughs) (laughs) ryan dunn just like i got this (laughs) next thing that i think would make basketball more fun look we're in the age of shooting and the the three-pointer is becoming a bigger and bigger part of college basketball so two two changes i would make four-pointer well, that's one of them. Oh yeah! <laughs> <laughs> but before I get there, I feel more strongly about this in the NBA because of the way the line falls. But it should go out to the sideline and not mm, create a short mm-hmm, corner three. Mm-hmm. It's not quite as bad in the NCAA with the distance of the line, but that should uh, the the distance should be the same across the court. And then I want a four point line or four point spots. You could do it in little money spots. If so, if, like the hot spots, yeah. in the Old NBA jam. That's exactly it. That's exactly <laughs> it. Why not? Let's reward the elite shooters.
0: Right. You know, though, that that's going to result in so many replay things that are
1: like, "Well, was he in the hot spot?" Let's take a look. Let's. So maybe Gene a line. Steritor. A line makes that better. <laughs> There's got to be technology that could tell us if they're in the spot or not. Like it lights up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be cool. That would be cool. Like, every arena has a lit. It like yeah. changes
0: the whole court. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. I think that would be that would be a fun thing. It was between that or every team gets to pick one game on their schedule and designate it as a slam ball game (laughs) with the trampolines. I'm just kidding. I don't really think we should do that, but it would be kind of fun. (laughs) There there were definitely some things in this where I was like,
0: that'd be fun, but it's not a good idea. Like, it would actually break. That's fair. But I had one more, which is we have all these tournaments. You know, Thanksgiving often has these tournaments. Some of them are good. Some of them are okay. Whatever. What we should use this time for is they should build into the schedule state championships that don't oh, count towards your conference okay. schedule. Okay. But I see all the time, like, they put up these fan, you know, these, like, yeah. which fan base has the best team and, you know, like a map on Twitter. Yeah. Let's make them all play. So love Virginia love Virginia Tech, VCU, JMU, get them all. It's, and, ODU. And it doesn't even have to count towards a tournament. You know what? I just it would be straight bragging rights, or like their school gets a It'd be a good like whatever. preseason thing. I guess pre-season, Thanksgiving works, yeah. Something you know, something like that. And uh, let's determine it. And then even some states like they don't have as many. Like, get, Could, uh, would you
1: combo? Yeah, like do a Great Plains the tournament Dakotas. instead of a, yeah. That's what I was thinking. Kind of yeah. like. like have that. regional tournaments. I like that. It's kind of like the in-season tournament in the NBA. Yeah, Where it doesn't actually mean anything. It's just
0: it would be good for fans. I think you know like. It is good. JMU had a huge win against UVA uh, at home to open up their new arena. It was a big deal for them and has propelled their program, and I hate JMU for it. But it was great for them to to be able to play that game. Like, we should play more of those games. UVA doesn't play VCU very often. They don't play JMU
1: very often. Like, they should be playing those games. That is a separate complaint I have. I think UVA and VCU should play more. I agree. I'm all... all in favor of it. I have one more in-game thing, and then I have a couple of structural things that okay. I would like to see yeah. change. In-game, and I feel this way with all sports, as long as there's no physical contact, as long as there's nothing doing harm, taunting should be allowed. Required? Mm, I don't want to require it because there are some kids that like, eh, this is not their thing. But like, if you dunk on somebody, you should be able to say something about it. As long as you're not harming them, as long as you're not saying anything that's Kicking like... Them. right. If it's not, like, a direct – I mean, there are obviously things we can't have them saying. <laughs> I don't want to get into that. But, like, those BYU kids would be out there <laughs> throwing around some words they shouldn't be saying. But there's technical fallacy I called for, like, pointing at a dude after you dunk on him. Like, that's stupid. I should be able to let you know. It is fundamentally more fun, and I just think it's it's great to see this. Uh, I think it should just – we should always allow taunting. I 100% agree with this, and
0: it gets me to something that I don't want to go into super long here. But when did we as a country decide that "horns down" is one of our Jeez, worst slurs? Yes. Like, what what is going on? Those kids got kicked out of a game for doing. They it. got re- fans got removed from a game. Like, is there some history? Like, fans, if you can, you can correct me. If I'm wrong on this, I will admit it in the next episode. If there's some racial history associated with saying "horns down," but like. What is going on? Like Stupid. people should be able to say what, whatever they want. Fans should be able to say whatever they want. And I'm 100 in favor of taunting.
1: Yeah.
0: Armando Baycott, like hits somebody with the like too small too small think That was like that's a great one. Yeah.
1: Should say, do it all the time. 100. I would love to like after beating UCLA, do that to Mick Cronin. Just give him the too small. Like you, I, you could actually do it to his head. Your you entire just, like, team put is too small because of your, your energy sort of pun- <laughs> punching around. Yeah. The other structural things I have, one of them, I don't. Again, I don't want to dive too far into this, but just reduce the influence of net and other metrics in tournament selection. Here's a great example. This came from Danny Neckel, actually. You probably saw this, um, and this is not net. This is Ken Palm, who I generally like. But the example he gave was three weeks ago: UVA was ranked 69th in Ken Palm, Maryland was 68th. In that time, since then, UVA has gone six and zero, Maryland two and three. Today UVA is fifty seventh, rising up twelve spots in the ranking. Maryland fifty second, rising up sixteen spots. So to be clear, that was before the Miami win. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Sorry. So Maryland rewarded more for having a losing record than UVA was for the six and zero streak there. The and and again, that's Ken Palmas, not an official. And that's, and that's a
0: predictive metric yes. as opposed to the net, which is a sorting metric.
1: But yeah, but but to me, it goes through the entire thing of like sometimes these numbers, they are not it, – it's not everything. It can't be the whole story. It's not everything. And we're trying, I think, to make it too big a part of the picture. This is not me saying it shouldn't be part of the picture at all. But I think it can be too big. So there's that. My next thing, I think this will be fun. It, it involves some logistical issues of scheduling some things. Probably have to push the NCAA tournament back a little bit. But every year we get to the NIT, and there's some team or teams in the NIT that we're like, ooh, they should have been the NCAA tournament, especially if they make a run through the NIT, dominant, win the whole thing. And you're like, ooh, that should have been a tournament team. So here's what we do maybe shrink the NIT a little bit to to make this work, push the tournament back some. NIT champion gets a bid, they go into the tournament where i'm not exactly sure right now once (laughs) (laughs) like maybe they're part of that like instead of doing like they're part of that first four maybe you just work them in there somehow but i just i think it'd be fun i think it'd be fun if like maybe you could do it instead of doing the first four take like the nit and the cbi or whatever else is out there and say hey whoever wins this or take the final four from the nit and just make them the first four you could do
0: like an fa cup style
1: thing yeah with yeah
0: i think that they should get in automatic bids to next year's thing so that's kind of like what soccer does so like but i know it doesn't reward the kids that are there but it rewards the programs that take that stuff seriously they should get an automatic bid, and that's like it's it's soccer. I mean, yeah. like the U.S. is already in the 20, it's 2026 soccer, World I like Cup that defense. <laughs> I mean, like it's internationally accepted. The U.S. is already in the World Cup because they're hosting. We already yeah. know what days they're going to play on in 2026. That's crazy. So, like, we accepted that. If Saint Bonaventure goes through and wins the NIT, put them in the tournament next year. That'd give a coach a reason to stay.
1: Players yeah, actually a reason it could be a great recruiting pitch. Yeah, we're in. You're like, hey, where are you? you know you're going to play in the tournament. Local five star. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't mind that. We give out so many spots. Like we could. We could spare yeah. one. We don't need to watch App State in the tournament yeah, as on. a 13 seed or something. Yeah. Like, 13 seeds never beat four seeds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to
0: skip right past that. <laughs> In the context of looking this up, I had my own ideas, and then I just kind of Googled. I found the worst idea, the idea I'm least in favor of, and I wanted to share it here. So I was looking at Reddit, and they had a list of just you know people talking on Reddit as they do of what to fix about college basketball. And here was the proposal. Teams can use one timeout that they can call even when they don't have possession. <laughs> So just like somebody this, racing down the court to hit a game-winning shot or
1: dunk or whatever, and timeout, time boop, freeze it right there. <laughs> Is this a separate timeout that you have just for that purpose, or it's one I of use your? Them whatever you would
0: be strategic, save that timeout. Oh boy! You see somebody runs off a three-point
1: thing, and you're like, oh, they're
0: gonna hit a really
1: important three. Boom, timeout. Okay, so you can't have possession, but does the other team have to have possession? So example. You know, states playing Carolina. States up two. R.J. Davis shoots an open three. Balls in the air. Looks like it's going in. Timeout <laughs> before it goes, <laughs> before it lands.
0: Could you do that? See, that would be awful. <laughs> <laughs> Alley-oop being thrown to Armando <laughs> Bacon. Nope. Timeout. Or you could call it with like you know point five seconds left just to prevent. Yeah, like mm. that's all buzzer beaters. And then go instead away. of advancing
1: the ball, you could retreat the ball <laughs> back into the. <laughs> <laughs> you have to play from the tunnel <laughs> yeah that's a bad idea yeah that's like one
0: of the worst ideas i've ever heard so yeah. kudos to redditor who came up with that that <laughs> was that broke my brain when i saw that <laughs> yeah it's bad uh if you have ideas for ways to fix or absolutely break college basketball you can write into preferred walk-ons at yahoo.com or ping us on social media at pwo pod and again want to shout out everybody who came to devil's backbone this past weekend and made the UVA watch fun also thanks to Travis Watson who had some awesome analysis particularly about rebounding i felt like UVA has improved rebounding wise and hearing him talk about that was like really informational for me i've never gotten a rebound in my life cuz i'm <laughs> short so it was it was good to hear that perspective
1: yeah it was kind of serendipitous that the game came down to some pretty big rebounding plays that that were significant. Yeah, uh, thanks to everybody who came. Thanks to Travis for being there, and uh, we'll be back there again on March 2nd for the Duke game. We'll remind you plenty of times, but we'll be back there for the Duke game. Some work being done on putting together a guest for that one mm. as well. But yeah, we'll be there. It'll be fun. We'll see you there. Go who's. Let's go.